Welcome to Shelter Cove Online. We are so glad that you're joining us today for this sermon. We hope and pray that this message encourages you, that you learn something, that you enjoy it. But more than that, we just pray that God would move in your life that he would reveal some more of himself to you today. If you would like to respond to this message in any way, you can contact us at sheltercovelive.com. Have an amazing rest of your day. At your highest moment, be careful. That's when the devil comes for you. Those were the words of Denzel Washington to Will Smith. At your highest moment, be careful. That's when the devil comes for you. You know, that's the reality of Adam and Eve in the gardening, Genesis chapter two. They're at their highest moment. They had everything they could ever imagine. They had paradise. And yet, that's when the devil came after them. So if you have your Bibles, meet me in Genesis chapter three. Genesis chapter three is where we're gonna be today as we continue our series in the beginning. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to raise your hand. Uh, we've got ushers with those. Uh, wanna welcome those joining us online. Also, if this is your first time here today, just wanna say welcome, so glad to have you with us today. My name is Jeremy, one of the pastors, and again, stoked to have you joining us today. We're in a series titled In the Beginning. This has been an awesome series as we've been looking at the first four chapters of the book of Genesis that lays the foundation really for Christianity and the rest of the scriptures. We've seen that God is the creator. That creation exists not just by mere chance, but because we have a God who created all things. He did it in six days. At the end of six days, he said that it was good and he rested. Uh, he created man. He said that it's not good for man to be alone. He creates a helper that he needed. Guys, we need a ton of help, all right? Uh, he created a helper. Her name was Woe Man, Woman. And uh, God institutes the first uh, institution called marriage between one male, one female, and that's what God said in Genesis chapter two, be fruitful and multiply. Genesis chapter three, we see that Adam and Eve had it all and they were tempted by Satan. They were told you can eat from any of the trees in the Garden of Eden, but one. And that's our human nature, isn't it? To want and desire that one thing that we're not supposed to have. And so Satan deceived Eve said, did God, did God really say that? And she ends up eating the fruit, shares it with her husband. He eats of the fruit. Sin enters into the world. They grab fig leaves to hide themselves because they realize that they are naked. And today, what I want to talk about is the rest of chapter three, sin and the grace of God. And before we dive into this passage today, I just want to pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. We need you. We pray right now that you would take away every and any distraction that would keep us from hearing your word, receiving your word, and living out your word. God, we pray that we would not just go through the motions as Christians, but that your word would penetrate our hearts, that you would change us from the inside out, that we would leave here differently than when we came. And God, I pray for your help. God, I pray that you would take over my mouth, my mind, my heart that you would boldly and clearly communicate your word through me. God, we, we need you. We need truth now more than ever. And so have your way in our lives today. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Sin in the grace of God. Uh, what is sin? Sin is falling short of God's perfect standard. Uh, sin crept into the world. We are all 
uh, experiencing the results of living in a fallen world. And what I want us to do is answer the question, what do we see when sin enters the world? Back in Genesis chapter 3, when sin enters the world through Adam and Eve, uh, what do we see? And I believe there's th- uh, four principles in your notes. The first thing we see are responses to sin. Responses to sin. And we see different responses. We're going to see the responses of, of Adam and Eve, but also we're going to see the response of God. Chapter 3, verse 8 puts it this way. It says, As they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden of the, uh, the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And it goes on and says this. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree. Let me just pause there for a second. I'm not even making a commentary and you guys are laughing already, all right? You talk about weak, pathetic leadership, huh? Uh, God, it was her fault. Ultimately, it was yours. You, you gave me this helper, right? <laughs> and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Here's what I want us to see first. I want us to see the response of man. What, what, is, what does Adam do? What, do? what does Eve do? They hide. They run. Uh, It's interesting because one of the things that we try to do is we try to hide from God. We try to hide from others. I think one of the biggest fears for so many people is being exposed for who we really are. Where people really knew the good, the bad, and the ugly, maybe they wouldn't like you and maybe they wouldn't love you. You know, I think a lot of us have had those dreams at times, you know, when we're, we're in like that REM sleep and we are dreaming that we're going to work, but we're running late and we realize we get to work, we only had time to put on our socks and tennis shoes and we're fully naked. Like those are like the worst dreams to have, right? They, they petrify you. If you like those dreams, you're weird, all right? I'm just throwing that out there. But like to be exposed for who we are, it's, it's, it's just something fearful. And yet, uh, what does God do? God says to Adam, where are you? Now, it's not because God wondered where Adam was. It's not because he didn't know exactly where he was. Adam was given this opportunity in this moment to repent. He said, God, God, I've blown it. God, I've, I've disobeyed you. you know, I, I played hide and seek with my kids uh, years ago. Um, they're 15 and 12 right now, but when Drew and Hallie were real young, they, they would, um, I would hide and they'd have to come and find me and it would take 10 minutes, 20 minutes. So I, they'd say, Dad, make a sound. And so I'd make the sound. It was always right? That, that was the sound to kind of give them a clue of where I was. And Drew would say, dad, make it again. Ooh, ooh. So you would like come, come be a neighbor at our house and you would just constantly hear, ooh, 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 ooh. our neighbor's like, man, they got a pigeon problem inside their house, right? Ooh, ooh. Cause he had no idea where I was when he called out. Not when I called out. When it was time to play hide and seek, I always knew where my kids were. I could say, Hey, where are you? But there was not a place they could hide where I did not know where they were. Friends, that's the same with our Heavenly Father. You can run and you can hide, 
but there is not a place where you can go where God does not know where you're at and where God does not know what you've done. That is the beauty of God. And so we see in this passage the temptation to hide, but not only that, we see the temptation to blame. I mean, what happens when God says, you know, hey, did you, did you eat the tree? Uh, Adam says, yeah, this woman, he blames God you, that you placed here. She gave to me. So Adam blames Eve. Eve blames the serpent, and the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. I mean, that's just, <laughs> some of you a little slow. That's all right, all right? That's my one dad joke for the day right there. But we blame, don't we? And this is not something that we need to be taught as people. Why? Because as a kid, we have this understanding that the way to get rid of the guilt and the shame in my life is to blame other people. And we won't just blame people. We'll blame God. We'll blame our situations. We'll blame our circumstances. But we live in a culture that refuses to take responsibility. That was Adam right there. God, I'm going to blame you and I'm going to blame my wife. And so we live in this culture of fear of being exposed. And yet I'm so thankful that we worship a God that goes after us. You know, John Christ is a famous Christian comedian. Uh, it was probably a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, it came out and John Christ was exposed for um, some sin in his life, some addiction, I think uh, maybe with alcohol and sexuality. And he uh, went through rehab for four months. And he said it was a tough process and he got out of it and God was really working in his life. And there was a family that came up to him at Chick-fil-A. And he shares a story of how he had his hood on, sunglasses on. He didn't want anybody to recognize him because he was still dealing with the guilt and shame in his life. And his family recognized him and said, hey, John. And he was so afraid of what they said or were gonna say. And they said, John, we just want you to know we love you. John, we want you to know that we're praying for you. John, we want you to know we believe that you still have a future and and he said it was their words and the words of other Christians that saved his life. Now, he said, you know what would have been worse than being exposed was not being exposed. Because he would still be dealing with the guilt and the shame in his life. So in James chapter 5, James says, confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is power and effective. There's something powerful about being exposed for who we really are in the presence of God. But that's the tendency for us as humans. When we do something that hurts God, is our tendency is to run and to blame and to refuse to take responsibility. But what does God do? Even though we run from him, he runs towards us. We move away, God moves in. And I love that God asked this simple question. He says, Adam, where are you? He doesn't say, Adam, you're an idiot. Adam, do you realize what you've done? Adam, one tree, uno tree, that's it. No, he, he simply says, Adam, where are you? Which I think is a great illustration because in this conversation, what we see is God asking four questions. And I think there's a powerful thing to do when somebody does something wrong instead of making accusation after accusation. I think it's a powerful thing to ask question after question after question. In other words, you can be very gracious and very direct at the same time. Have you eaten from this tree? Who told you that you were naked? Don't miss this. It's crazy that they're embarrassed that they're naked right now. Chapter three, they're embarrassed that they were naked. Chapter two, what happened? They get married and it says they were naked and unashamed. Right? Chapter, chapter two is like, ooh, ooh. Chapter three is like, ooh, right? I didn't do that. 
I did not do that in any of the other services. I probably won't do that in another one, all right? What, what changed? What allowed them to be filled with shame? Sin. It was not their nakedness. It was that sin came into the world. Some of you are still believing. I cannot believe I did that, all right? You know, Will, Will Smith, uh, after he went up and slapped uh, Chris Rock a couple days later, and I'm not trying to encourage Will Smith as a role model or anything, but I, I do think it's very interesting what he said uh, publicly, and this is what he said. He said, violence in all of its forms is poisonous and destructive. My behavior at last night's Academy Awards was unacceptable and inexcusable. I love that. There's, there's no blame. I'm taking personal responsibility. And then he said, I would like to publicly apologize to you, Chris. I was out of line. And then he says, I was wrong. I was wrong. You can take that. You can see the whole thing later um, if you want on Instagram or social media or whatever. But what does he do? He takes personally responsible the actions that he made. I was wrong. Don't miss this. Our response is we run from God. God's response is that God runs to us. The same God that we see back in the Old Testament is the same God that we see in the New Testament. New Testament, Luke chapter 19, 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So you may be running from God today, and it doesn't matter how fast you run, how far you run, God is pursuing you with love and grace. Why? Because that's his response to your sins. See, the question is not how is God going to respond? How is God responding to me? The question on the table is how are you responding to God? Are you, are you willing to repent? Are you willing to say, God, before you, I'm wrong? God, before you, what I've done is, is inexcusable. Like, what would it look like today if you quit making excuses and quit blaming people, thinking that would get rid of the guilt and the shame in your life when only Jesus Christ can do that? First thing we see are the responses to sin. Second of all, in your notes, we see solution for sin. We see solution for sin. And I love this because before God even gets into the consequences, he wants Adam and Eve to know, hey, I haven't been caught off guard. I'm not surprised by this. I've already got it figured out. I've already got a plan to restore the broken relationship between the two of us. And I'm gonna be the one that does all the work. You just gotta believe me. And this is what it says in verse 14. Verse 14 says, Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all the beasts, the field, on your belly, you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Satan, I want you to know that you're gonna eat dust. What does it mean to eat dust? It means to eat defeat every single day. I'm gonna remind you that you are defeated every single day of your life. And then here's the, the first gospel that we see. He says, I will. If you got your own Bible, circle those words, I will. Why? Because anytime God says, I will do something, he does it. Anytime God makes a promise, he will always fulfill it. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is the first gospel. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Satan's gonna bruise the heel of Jesus Christ. How is he gonna do that? Through his death. And at the moment where Satan thinks he has his greatest victory, Jesus is gonna rise from the grave three days later crushing the head of Satan, 
defeating death, defeating sin, defeating Satan, all at the same time. This is a, a prophecy about the future sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And anytime it says, I will, we have to take those words seriously and trust that God's gonna do what he promises to do. A little bit later, in Genesis chapter six, God says to Noah, I will flood the earth. Now, it had never rained. But what did Noah do? He kept God at his word and he built the ark. Genesis chapter 12, what happens? God says to Abram, whose name was later changed to Abraham, Abraham, I will bless you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. What happens? God keeps his promise because God always keeps his promises. But we see back in here in chapter three, verse 15, the fact that God's already got a solution to our greatest problem. Now, a lot of times people wrestle with the, the justice of God and the grace of God. Like, how do those mesh together? Because a lot of times people are all maybe about God's grace where they say, hey, uh, love you. It doesn't matter how you live. Uh, we find uh, people enabling people, minimizing sin, and it's all about God's love, and it's not about sin. And like their favorite verse is like, he without sin, like let him cast the first stone. So it's all love, all grace, but no justice. And then there's other people that are all about God's justice and God's wrath. And we find, a find ourselves focusing more on the sin in other people's life instead of our own. And it often leads to a critical spirit legalism. And so we have to go back to Genesis chapter three where we find the perfect balance of God's justice and God's grace. And this is why this is so important. Your view of God will impact how you view other people. Your view of God will impact how you treat other people. And we see in Genesis chapter three that God is a God that is full of justice but also full of grace. We're gonna see that God gives this consequence. There, there is uh, death, there is separation and, and God is the perfect judge. He cannot allow any sin into heaven so he has to say, hey, you're guilty but in the midst of your guilt, in the midst of your shame, I'm gonna provide a savior to deal with the broken relationship that you've experienced because of your sin. And so we see back in Genesis Chapter three, justice and grace. Paul says in Ephesians chapter two, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourselves, it's a gift from God, not by works that no man may boast. Church, this is what separates Christianity from every other religion. Every other religion is about like trying to please God, allowing your good works to outweigh the bad works. In Christianity, we realize that there's nothing that we could ever do to be right with God. There's nothing we could do to deal with the sin in our life. And it's only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and his grace that we can be right before a holy God. And so we see back here in Genesis, we see, boy, the, the responses of sin between man and God. We see the solution for sin where God's like, hey, I'm gonna share the consequences. But before that, I want you to know I've already solved the problem. You just have to trust me. Now, the third point in your notes is, is simply not only the responses, the solution, but the realities of sin. Here's the, here's the realities of sin, and God's gonna unpack these in just a moment, but what I want us to see and, and know is that we never sin in isolation. Our, our sin always impacts and hurts God, others, and ourselves. Like the whole thought and the whole concept of, hey, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Do, do you know how many people have their greatest regret of, of thinking they could control the consequences 
Let me, let me unpack this just for a moment. How many people think, hey, I'm, I'm gonna go to Vegas or, or whatever for a weekend and I'm gonna drink a ton, get high, I'm gonna smoke some weed, I'm gonna gamble, I'm gonna sleep around and the only consequence is gonna be the next morning I'm gonna have a headache and be tired. So many people don't understand that when you choose to sin, you choose a unknown set of consequences that you have no control over. It will, it'll affect you emotionally, spiritually, mentally, physically, relationally, financially. The list goes on and on. And, and, and here, what we see is we're gonna see a couple of the consequences of sin that God gives to, to, to Eve first, then to Adam. And this is what it says in verse 16. It says, to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. Any ladies here giving birth to a child? Yes, only one raised their hand. That's weird. Um, <laughs> in pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. It's interesting here that, that, that the childbearing is gonna produce pain. And in just a moment, we're gonna see that, that for men, when they toil and work, there's gonna be sweat, there's gonna be pain, there's gonna be thorns. In other words, hey, your primary responsibilities as somebody that gives birth and oversees the children and somebody that works, not that there can't be help and crossover, your primary responsibilities, there's now gonna be pain. I had the opportunity to watch my first two kids um, be born, Drew and Jake, not Hallie, she was adopted, that would have been weird. Um, my first two kids, uh, I'll never forget when Jake was being born. I was uh, in the delivery room watching Kelly and I hadn't had a lot to eat all day and I was kind of standing there and Jake came out and I'm like, whoa. You know, I kind of felt lightheaded and the nurse is like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I feel like I'm gonna pass out. And so she's like, you know, sit down. And then, do you want some water? Um, sure, I'll take a little bit of water. Do you need anything else, you know? And I was a little bit embarrassed. Um, but Kelly, I think, later asked me, hey, we're, what, what was going on? I'm like, well, I almost passed out. And the nurse said, hey, why don't you sit down? You know, or, do you want some water? Do you need anything else? And it was great because she was real understanding and compassionate towards me the next several days. Oh, are, are you okay? Do you need to sit down? Do you need any water? Do you need anything else? Now, she didn't say, like, I was the one that had the baby. She was just, you know, but I just appreciated the encouragement and the compassion during, during that moment. Surely I will multiply your pain during childbearing. And then also it says, but he shall rule over you. In other words, that the man will have responsibility over the woman. Women are called to be submissive to their husbands. Now this doesn't mean that a wife is less than her husband. She is equal. But notice who does God hold responsible for sin? The man. Don't miss this. Men, we are called to be the spiritual leaders of the home, and God calls us to be responsible. I believe the reason why cities and our culture is falling apart, because men are refusing to be men. Men are refusing to take that responsibility. And I'm not saying this to, to guilt anybody or to cause shame, but what would it look like for us as a church for as men to rise up and say, hey, regardless of what's happened in the past, moving forward, starting today, I'm gonna desire, I'm gonna take steps to be the man, the husband, and the father that God's calling me to be. That I'm not gonna be passive, that I'm gonna be responsibility because it starts with me. I love what Joshua said in Joshua 24. He said, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. I'm making decisions for my family. I'm starting to preach up in here, watch out. Hello. Um, after Easter, 
don't miss this. We're doing a three-week series titled Building Stronger Families. It's gonna be awesome. We're gonna talk about men being men, women being women, and kids being kids. And boy, there is a a war going on that Satan is winning in the midst of families right now. So we're gonna talk about how to strengthen those. But Adam really is held responsible uh, for what happened. And this is what it says to, uh, God says to Adam. He says, and to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded, um, commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. It goes on and says, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread to return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, and you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Adam, you're gonna, you're gonna hurt, you're gonna have pain. It's not gonna be pleasant when you're working the ground. Oh, and by the way, from dust you were formed, into dust you are going to return. The realities of sin. And some of you are living with those today. I mean, the fact that we live in a broken world, a lot of us are living with the realities of, of just sin from Adam and Eve. But some of us are, are living with consequences of our own sin. And yet we see the grace of God all through this. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter where you've gone. It doesn't matter how far you feel from God. God is still chasing after you. He is still running towards you. And I love what we see in point four, because not only have we seen the responses of sin, the solution for sin, realities of sin, but we see God in his grace, a covering for sin. God here in Genesis chapter three is gonna say, I'm gonna do for you what you are incapable of doing yourself. And this is what he says in verse 20. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. I love this. What does Eve mean? It means life giver. See, here's Adam. Don't miss this. In Genesis chapter 3, 15, those two words when God said, I will. I, I, I will create something where, where yeah, that Jesus is gonna be stung, but Satan's gonna be defeated. And I'm going to birth someone through your seed, Eve. What did Adam do? He kept God at his word and he gives his wife a name that means life giver. And here's the encouragement. Here's the hope. Even though Adam sinned and he disrespected God and disobeyed God and, and ran from God. In verse 19, he chose to put his faith in God. Doesn't matter where you've been. Today is a new day to put your faith in Jesus Christ. He puts in faith, his faith in him by naming her Eve and says, and, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. This is so important because they tried to clothe themselves. What did the fig leaves represent? It was insufficient. There's nothing that they could deal, do to deal with the sin in their life. Again, the nakedness was not their issue, the sin was. So what does God do? There's, there's an animal that God causes to be sacrificed. In Hebrews 11, it says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so we see in Genesis chapter three, the shedding of blood, which takes away the sins. And we see that in the Old Testament, there would eventually be the perfect lamb of God that, that takes away the sins of the world, and that would be Jesus Christ, God's only son. But here Verse 21, we see that God does for Adam and Eve what they are incapable of doing themselves. 
Again, that's what separates Christianity from other religions. We think that there's stuff that we can do to contribute. No, God provides these garments. God is the one that that allowed there to be shed blood and showing that it is only through a sacrifice that your sins can be covered. And then we see his grace once again in verse 22 through 24. Then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eats and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Cherubim were were angelic beings guarding that tree of life. Why? Because it would have been hell on earth for Adam and Eve to eat from the tree of life and continue to live in their sinful condition. That's the grace of God. Hey, I'm gonna allow this, this life on earth to be temporary. And so we see in this passage, responses of sin, the solution of sin, the realities of sin, but lastly, the covering of sin that's only possible through God. And so here's my question for you today. And it's the same question that that God asked Adam. In your notes, it's where are you? Not like physically, you're like, I'm in church right now, or I'm watching in my pajamas. What way? Not, not spiritually, where are you? Are you, are you running from God? Are you dealing with your guilt and shame in your life by simply blaming other people, blaming your circumstances, blaming God? You know, a lot of people will say, you know what, I, I just don't believe that God would send anyone to, to hell because he's full of love. And I would say, yes, he is full of love, but he is also a just God. He cannot allow any sin into heaven. His standard is perfection. Now, hell wasn't prepared for people. Uh, for people. It was prepared by God for Satan and his angels. And I, I would say that God doesn't send people to hell. We choose it. Because at the end of the day, all of us will either accept or reject Jesus Christ. We will live a life of guilt or we will live a life of grace. Bible says that there's two roads, one that's wide and many find it, one that's narrow through Jesus Christ and only a few find it. You're either with Jesus or without Jesus. And the choice is yours. You know, a lot of times we don't talk about hell because we don't want, you know, I don't know, people to get scared or whatever, I I think about hell and I think about what the Bible says about hell and that it's a place of eternal fire where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a place of misery. Church, that should scare you. And yet, God did what we can't do ourselves. He provided a way to restore the broken relationship through his son, Jesus Christ. It's only through Jesus Christ. Now, this doesn't mean that when you make a decision for Jesus Christ that you don't experience any more pain, any more suffering. No, there will be pain and there will be suffering this side of heaven. But there is a peace that the world can offer. There there is a joy that's only possible with Jesus. There is a comfort that's only possible with God. And there is a hope that's only possible with Jesus Christ. You know, after the last service, I talked to a couple people. And a couple people said, uh, I don't know how people do it without Jesus. 
Yeah, and I said, they don't. I said, I think they spend most of their time escaping the reality of life or pacifying the pain in their life because there is no hope. It led to the conversation like, I don't understand how people can kill themselves. I do. Like if you have nothing to look forward to, if you have no hope, why, why live? For friends, the hope is available for every single one of us today and it's in the name of Jesus Christ. And my greatest prayer is that if you find yourself blaming or running, that today you would know that there is a God that created you, that loves you, and he is running after you because he wants to be in relationship with you. And it's only possible through the shed blood and the resurrected body of Jesus Christ.